Father in heaven, I thank you so much for how you have led in my life. Lord, you know that it isn't perfect. There are many roadblocks along the way. There are many broken cisterns. There are times when I made decisions that was against your will, but I thank you so much that your grace covers. That you love us so much that when we still make mistakes and when we still follow our own intuition, that you still work with us. And so today I pray that this message would give hope, would give guidance and clarity to my friends in this room. We thank you so much that your spirit will be our teacher. That is promised in John 14, 26. We claim that in Jesus' name. Amen. An introduction to the three wills of God. I think that it is clear about God's perfect will. That's when we do what God wants us to do, and this is the part that's hard for some of us, when He wants us to do it. Isn't that right? So not only is God's will about what He wants us to do, but it also has to fall in line with His timing. Secondly, we have God's permissive will, and this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning, is talking about God's permissive will, because I believe that's where most of us fall. We, we sometimes do God's will, but we mix our own ideas. So what is God's permissive will? It means doing what God wants us to do with our timing or in our methodology. We understand we should keep God's commandments, but we do things our way, not fully following His will or His timing. That's God's permissive will. Finally, we have probably the easiest and clearest one, and this is God's prohibitive will, or I like to call it God's painful will. And that is when we don't do God's will in His way or His time, and we're completely rebellious to His commands. Now, when I study these three things, I find that following God's perfect will will net us the most happiness. It also puts us in the most optimum place to thrive and flourish in our Christian walk. God's perfect will also gives us the peace needed when we go through a trial, and that's probably the most important thing. There's nothing like knowing you're in God's perfect will so that when you have to go through a trial, you know without a shadow of a doubt God has led and so God will see you through it. But God's permissive will, what is this? I believe this is specifically when we have given our hearts to God, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, but because we have not followed God in His entirety, we have placed ourselves in a compromising place spiritually. This is where we may experience lots of unnecessary trials that are not God-sent, that are not even Satan-sent, that are induced by our own decisions. And finally, we have God's prohibitive will. I think that one is clear. That is clearly not following God. Thus, we open ourselves to a slew of temptations. We're an enemy of God. We're not in His will at all. In fact, the Bible says in James 4, verse 4, we become enemies of God. Now, there is a fundamental Bible verse that I think if we follow, we can see ourselves following God's will all the time. We can be in His perfect will, and that is Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. We have to have faith that God's thoughts, that His ways are higher than your thoughts and your ways. God may present a career path to you that you don't necessarily like. 
Maybe it doesn't pay as much as you want. Maybe it doesn't give you the prestige that you crave. But when you follow God's path and you realize that your ways and your thoughts are not yours, but they're God's instead, this will net you the most happiness. Let's take Noah's Ark as an example, following his perfect will. Now, we know the story very well. God commands Noah to build an ark. He has never seen rain before. The earth has never seen rain. And God makes, tells Noah that he's going to destroy the earth. That has not done before, been done before. In fact, everyone else is laughing at him. Now, God told Noah to build the ark out of very, very specific type of wood. Does anyone remember what kind of wood it was? Gopher wood. Did you know that if you study that in the entire scriptures, you will never see that word gopher wood in the scriptures in all its entirety. It was only listed once. Gopher wood. Now, let's just say for a moment that Noah decided to make it with cedar or redwood or Lebanon, right? Wood from Lebanon. We, God, uh, Noah would be following God's will as in making an ark, but now he's not following it in its in God's will in its entirety, thus placing himself in God's permissive will. Is that clear? Let's just say for a moment that Noah builds the ark out of gopher wood, and then he looks around and he doesn't see any animals. So he tells his sons and his daughter-in-laws, and he says, clearly God has told us to build this ark. There are no animals, so let's go ahead and set some traps. Let's go out there and grab some lions. Now, you're all laughing with me because maybe one of his sons wouldn't have made it. Maybe in an attempt to grab a lion, he would have been lion food, right? Does that make sense that they had followed God's will, building the ark, but if they took matters into their own hands and then thus caught the animals with traps, that they would now be placing themselves in God's permissive will. Hopefully these illustrations are clear. I know that some of these things um, are new thoughts or new ideas. At least for me, when I first heard this, I was like, wow, that's, I always thought that it was like black or white. Either you're following God or you're not following God. And these, this Bible study or this thought helped me uh, in my formation of the decisions that I made. Now let's go ahead and look at a an example of God's permissive will, the call of Moses, for example. You can follow along in Exodus chapter 3. I'll have it on the screen as well. But Exodus chapter 3, we're going to be looking at the call of Moses. Exodus chapter 3. Notice what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7. Our first example was Noah. He followed God's will in its entirety, God's perfect will. And as a result, you saw a perfect ark. And you saw animals that went on board, and the plan was executed perfectly. An example of God's perfect will. Now, when following God's perfect will, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be trials and tribulations. Do you remember when Noah was in the ark? How long did it take for rain to actually happen after Noah was in the ark? That's right, seven days. Could you imagine for a moment you following God's perfect will in its entirety, but you're in the ark for seven days with all those stinky animals and there's no rain, there's no flooding or anything. What would that cause the human mind to do? Doubt. That's correct. Maybe I did something wrong. You know, maybe his sons are talking to Noah and asking him, are you sure you heard God's voice, old man? I mean, you don't know exactly what happened in some of the dialogue. 
But Noah, because he followed God's perfect will, had full confidence that a flood was coming, even though they had threats from the antediluvian world. Now we're going to look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. This is an example of Moses, and he followed God's permissive will. Listen carefully. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7. And the Lord God said, I have seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Verse 10. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that you may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This right here is God's perfect will. Moses, I'm choosing you. Go in front of Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go. Notice Moses' response. Verse 11. Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Verse 12. And he said, Certainly I will be with thee. This should have been enough. Right? If God is for you, you're the majority. If God is for you, who cares who's against you? But as you can see, Moses needed more. Needed more evidence. Didn't have enough faith. So God worked with him. Exodus 3, 11 and 12 should have, Mo- should have been Moses hearing the direct orders from God and marching to Egypt and going in front of Pharaoh. But because of that, there is continued dialogue and we get to Exodus chapter 4. The Lord said unto unto him, Moses, who hath made man's mouth, or who makes the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind, have not I the Lord? Verse 12, again, God gives assurance to Moses. Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. Now Moses has given excuses after excuses. He talks about his insufficiencies. He talks about how he's not gifted to speak. You know that's not true, right? If you read the book of Acts, you actually find out that Moses was great in words and deeds. You find out that Moses went to the University of Egypt and he was groomed to take the place of Pharaoh. He understood how to speak. He was an eloquent speaker. He had excuses. But God still works with Moses. Isn't it comforting to know that even when We don't exhibit enough faith that God still works with us. He doesn't cast us away. Verse 13, another request that Moses has. He said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of whom thou wilt send. Verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. Now, this is important for you to understand because we're going to find out later on that it was not God's perfect will for Aaron to accompany Moses. That was his permissive will. But before we get into that, I want to outline four things, four points from the response. And this is how God works with us. Here are the four points from the passage that we can learn. Number one, Exodus chapter 3 and 4 is a demonstration of the patience that God has for you and for me. 
Even when we don't follow God in its in His entirety, implicitly, God demonstrates patience. The second thing that we can gather from the passage in Exodus 3 and 4 is God has a divine will, and here's the important part, He will never force us to comply. I should have heard a hearty amen for that one. God has a divine will for us, but never forces us to comply. Isn't that so different from how humans deal with things? Isn't that different? We just want to force people to do things. We want to tell people to do things. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't force us to comply. Number three, God knows that His way is best. If I was God, I'd be tempted to tell Moses, I'm like, boy, don't you know that I made you? You better go there now. Like, I would have said something like that. I would have been like, Moses, you don't know who you're talking to. But God doesn't do that. Even though that he knows that his way is best, he still grants us our wishes. Even in seeking to carry forward his work on earth our way. And the fourth, this is called his permissive will. In other words, he permits us to have our way while still seeking to work with us. Maybe there's something we're clinging on to. Lord, I don't want to do it this way. Lord, I, 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 let me add this to the equation. Or I, I still want this position. Even though you don't think it's good for me, God's like, okay, I will work with you. That's the character that God has. However, and this is a big however, if you decide to follow God's permissive will, there will be unintended consequences ahead. God's permissive will is when we follow His plan partially and also partially following our own way and plan. And what, it ha what happens is when this happens, when we decide to follow God's permissive will, when we, we have a cloak of selfishness in following God's will, when we decide to muddy our fingers into His plan, what happens is unintended consequences, unintended trials that was not meant for you. For example... We look at the story of Moses and Aaron. You fast forward to Exodus in chapter 32, what happens? You know what happens? We're not going to take the time to go through the story. God, of course, needs to communicate to Moses. And so he brings up Joshua. So Moses and Joshua, they go up to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. And while they're up there, Aaron is left in charge. You know what's fascinating is if Aaron was not in charge, if Aaron did not have a leadership position, it would have been Joshua. It would have been a very different story. But because Aaron is in charge, you know what happens. We don't need to go through the entire story. I just want to highlight one verse, Exodus 32, verse 21. Moses comes down and he sees the mayhem taking place. He sees the golden calf and he asks Aaron or he tells Aaron, what did these people do to you that led you, that you led them into such great sin? In other words, everything rises and falls on leadership. And because Moses needed Aaron to go along with him, guess what? Moses had to also pay for the consequence later on. He comes down from the camp and he sees absolute mayhem and he tells Aaron, what have you done? Well, Moses, pardon me, but you're also responsible for this as well. You asked for Aaron to go with you, and because of that, Aaron was in a leadership position, and because of that, you see the rebellion in the camp of Israel. You know what I find is 
other things that other things that fall under asking for or under God's permissive will is asking for signs, asking for something supernatural, asking to have something that is not good for you, asking for a job. Oh, God, I just need this job. If I get this job, oh, it's going to be I'm going to be in a better place financially. I'm going to be in a better place positionally. What if that's not intended for you? We got to be careful for what we ask for. Or let's bring it closer to home. Asking for maybe a relationship that you should not be in. Asking to be with someone who God doesn't have the intention for you to be with. Now you're putting yourself in big trouble. We all know what it says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30 and 39, even though we do this a lot. It says, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. You know, it's fascinating if you, store, if you study the story of Gideon. Many people, they look at that and they say, oh, did you put out a fleece? Gideon did that. Let me, let me share something with you. Not everything described in the Bible is prescribed for us. I don't know if you caught that. Not everything described in the Bible is prescribed for us to follow. Cain also killed Abel. Does that mean that we're to follow that example? Absolutely not. So in the story of Gideon, when he asked for a sign, you have to understand that he was really going into God's permissive will. He should have followed God's orders right away. He didn't. He asked for a sign. God gave him a sign, and he kept asking for more signs over and over again. And by the way, you see his rebellious heart at the very end. Do you know what happens to the story of Gideon at the very end? He commits idolatry. He's actually not faithful. He creates an idol. A lot of people don't know that. You see his true heart and his true condition. You know, Gideon, he followed God, but if you're not following God entirely, the permissive will can ultimately also get you in trouble. Be careful what you ask for. James chapter 4 and verse 3, it says this, You ask and you do not receive because you ask how, everyone? Wrongly, or the King James, amiss, to spend it on your own passions. Finally, I love what this says. Remember this promise. All God's commands are promises. Amen? And all His biddings are enablings. That's the beautiful thing, beautiful thing about God. Now what we're going to do in the next few minutes that we have, we're going to study the children of Israel and we're going to look, we're going to continue to study God's permissive will and see what it led the children of Israel to do. You know, it's a fascinating discussion is looking at the children of Israel and seeing God's plan for them and how they were to go into the promised land versus their plan. Listen to what it says in Exodus chapter 13. You can follow along in your Bibles if you want. You can see this for yourself or you can look up on the screen. Exodus chapter 13 and verse 17. Did you know that Israel was not to see war? It was never God's intention for them to fight. Never. Not once. Exodus 13 and verse 17, here's what the Bible says. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that, that was near, that was a nearer um, route. In fact, it would only take 40 days. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. 
Let's be absolutely clear. The children of Israel were not geared to fight. Let's also be clear. They did not have weapons. The Egyptians weren't stupid. They didn't give them knives and swords and all sorts of things to fight. You know, they didn't have those things. Now, one of my favorite books for commentary is Patriarchs and Prophets. If you've never read that book, it's an excellent read. And there's some commentary I want to draw from there. Listen to this, Patriarchs and Prophets. I got it from two places, page 247 and 392. It was not God's will to deliver his people by what, everyone? Warfare. As who thought? Now, why did Moses think this way? Well, what was his upbringing? He was a general, right? He was a general in, in Egypt. And so he was accustomed to war. So in, in Moses' mind, the way that he was to deliver God's people was through warfare. But that was not God's plan. In other words, this also put the children of Israel in God's permissive will. Listen carefully. It was not God's will to deliver his people by warfare, as Moses thought, but by his own power, that the glory might be ascribed to him alone. The Lord had never, that's a strong word, the Lord had never commanded them to go up and fight. It was not his purpose that they should gain the land by warfare, but by what, everyone? strict obedience to his commands. Not once were they supposed to pick up a sword. Not once were they supposed to fight against the Canaanites. Not, uh, Canaanites. Not once were they supposed to, to ever lose someone, uh, you know, a, a family member, a, you know, a, a husband, a brother, a son. Never. They were supposed to go from Egypt to Canaan with everyone intact if they followed God's commands with strict integrity. Page 282 goes on to say the Israelites were poorly prepared for an encounter with that powerful and warlike people. They had little knowledge of God and little faith in Him, and they would have become terrified and disheartened. They were unarmed and unaccustomed to war. They were a bunch of slaves. Their spirits were depressed by long bondage, and they were encumbered with women, children, flocks, and herds. Biblically speaking, you see this over and over in Exodus 14, verse 13. Listen carefully. Moses said unto the people, Fear you not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. Verse 14, the Lord shall do what? Fight for you. Isn't that amazing that God himself was to fight for the children of Israel? The Lord shall fight for you. You shall hold your peace. Verse, uh, Exodus 15, verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Now, here's the question, of course, that many will ask. If the children of Israel were not to ever pick up a sword, a spear, and to fight against the Canaanites, how was God going to deliver them? Got this verse for you. Exodus 23, verse 28. I will send what? Hornets before thee which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before thee. Wow. Could you imagine being the children of Israel, standing still, just as God said, and seeing a slew of hornets? I mean, just think of the nastiest type of stinging bug out there. I don't know, African bees, I don't know what, what's the nastiest thing anymore. All of them are the same to me. They're all disgusting, they all should die. But these things... <laughs> These things would go in to the Canaanite, to the Hittites, and imagine you just got to sit there and eat popcorn, 
whatever else, manna, that's right. They're eating manna, right? <laughs> and you got to see all of these huge men run around like little girls screaming as bees and wasps and hornets went into their homes. Do you understand that this is very much a reality? Do you understand that 10 plagues warmed them up? They saw a bunch of locusts. They saw a bunch of frogs. They saw plague after plague, and that was just God getting warmed up. He was about to do one of the greatest miracles. But because the children of Israel chose to fight, you and I as Bible readers were cheated from reading this in the Bible. You understand that this was a conditional prophecy. So where did they get their weapons? Exodus 14, verse 30. And the Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. What do you think they did? Yeah. They just grabbed the swords, grabbed the spears, and what happened? The moment they grabbed the swords and the spears, what do you think they felt? They felt powerful. They felt like they could beat the Canaanites. They wanted to experience victory, per se. They wanted to get into battle. That was never God's plan, but they wanted to do that. And if you, if you look carefully, you see this over and over with God's children, I have in the next slide, I've outlined God's perfect will versus God's permissive will. Watch this. God's perfect will was manna. Did they like that stuff? They're like, thank you, God. Wow, angel's food. Thank you so much. No, they made fun of it. They said, what is this light bread? We hate this stuff. Our soul loathes it, is what actually the Bible says. So God works with them, and what does he do? He gives them quail. By the way, do you know what happened when he gave them quail? Yeah, they got sick. And many of them died. It was, the, the quails were flying low. They grabbed the quails and they stuffed it in their mouth. They didn't even barbecue the thing, you know? They didn't even make it tacos. No carne asada here. I mean, they just put that stuff in their mouth and they choked over it. Now, was that God's plan for them? Was that God's will for them to, to choke over quail? No. God gave them manna. You don't see anyone dying over manna, right? No. God gave them manna. They didn't like it. They settled for God's permissive will. Well, of course, we know the new covenant, the old covenant. God gave them the new covenant, and they settled for the old covenant. Um, by the way, this is a separate study and a separate sermon, but the old covenant has always been the new covenant. If you haven't studied that, nothing has changed. God doesn't change. God gave them the exact same covenant that you and I have. It's just that they decided to do things on their strength and their will. That's it. But the promise and the terms are exactly the same. God's perfect will, go up and possess the land. God's permissive will, wander around in, in the wilderness for 40 years. Get a time out and think about what, all the things you've done, right? God's perfect will, Moses, speak to the rock. God's permissive will, Moses strikes the rock. God's perfect will, God has judges and prophets for them, but they didn't like that. They wanted to be like the other nations, and so they asked for a king. That was God's permissive will. I want to read what this says, Review and Herald, May 24, 1887. This passage says this, God is preparing a people. God's people must not only know His will, they must what? Practice it. I believe that all of us in this room, we know God's will. 
This isn't a seminar, how to know God's will for your life. I can give you God's will. The bottom line is, do you want to follow God's will? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, trust what? Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in thine own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. If we are very honest with ourselves, God has given us His will. He has outlined it in the Bible and Spirit of Prophecy. It's just that we're stubborn. It's just that we want to throw our way of doing things as well. I found this quote this morning, Be Like Jesus, page 301. It says this, Our first duty, our what? Our first duty toward God and our fellow humans is that of what? Self-development. I never read this quote before. If you would have asked me, pop quiz, and said, what's our first duty towards God? And man, I would have not said this answer. Our first duty is self-development, learning how to hear God's voice and implicitly obeying. Now, how do we put this into practice? How do we put God's perfect will into practice? How do we do this? Well, I have an I guess a couple of stories or an illustration. So I remember very clearly when I was a kid, I don't know if it was because, you know, we grew up poor or something like that. I always wanted a fancy car, like a BMW. And I remember, you know, I don't know if you had one of these, but I had one of those disposable cars growing up. Did you have one of those? Or was it just me? So I had this really nasty Ford Taurus and it made a lot of noises. The tires made noise, and I mean, it just thing was terrible. I remember I'd go to the mall sometimes in downtown San Bernardino, uh, Inland Center Mall, and I would just leave the doors unlocked, hoping someone would steal it. Like, that's how bad I hated this thing, you know? Like, this thing was, it was just one of those terrible cars, you know? And, you know, I went to Loma Linda Academy and stuff, and people drove nice cars there and everything, and, you know, I had to drive this Ford Taurus, and it just, everyone knew I was coming because it just made a nasty sound and everything, so... If you're still in that boat, it's okay. God still loves you, okay? But I was in that boat in high school. Now, because of that, I think, uh, you know, I, I was like, man, I really want a real nice car. And, I'm, and I remember I wanted a BMW and my screensaver in, in high school on my, little, on my computer was a BMW. And lo and behold, when I became a consultant, I remember when my boss, he said, meet me at Savage BMW, and he actually got me a BMW. And so I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. I have a BMW. Now, here's what I didn't know. I didn't know that by having a BMW, you're also going to have a bunch of little problems, especially with electronics and things like that. I didn't know that. Now, don't get me wrong. It was still a nice ride. Had nice, it was a nice, uh, drove nice. But, you know, I didn't want to spend $400 to fix a window. I didn't want to spend a, you know, a couple hundred dollars to do something here and there. And so I remember I was like, man, I love this car. And people are like, oh, you got a BMW? Yeah, those are nice cars, man. But, you know... Yeah, some problems. That's what they would tell me. I didn't know what they meant by that. I would soon find out. I remember when the weather stripping for the BMW, I mean, being here in Southern California, it started to melt off. And I remember I went to the BMW dealership and like, hey, that weather stripping is uh, off. Uh, can, can you fix it? They're like, mm, yeah. You know, they get their little pen out and they look at it. I mean, you don't need a pen for this, but they're checking everything. Yeah, you know, they'll, they'll be uh, $396. I'm like, are you serious? That's just the weather stripping. It went down. That you're going to charge me 400. You know, it's just a complicated fix. And I remember, you know, going and getting super glued and just putting that thing back together. 
I remember that, that story, and I remember thinking to myself, oh, man, you know, having a BMW is great, and it, it's nice, and just, you know, the next thing you know, the moonroof wouldn't work, you know, and that's bad on a rainy day like this. So I'm like, oh, man, it just not, the moonroof isn't coming in. And again, you go to the BMW dealership, and, oh, you know, that's, yeah, that's, a, that's actually a very special part from Germany. $800 for that one. You know, like, it's just nonstop. And I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, this is insane. You know, something that I thought I really wanted, I didn't want anymore. <laughs> That's what I have figured in my experience is like when you follow God's permissive will. You want something really bad, and you're just like, oh, I just really want this relationship. I really want this job. I really want whatever it is. And when you get the thing, and you're going through problems, you realize you actually really don't want it after all. I remember that. Maybe this one's going to hit closer to home. I remember when you know, I was here, I was a leader at Advent Hope, and I don't know how things are nowadays. I haven't been here a while. When I went here, Advent Hope was sometimes called Advent Nope and Advent Hopeless. But maybe things have changed a little bit, you know? And... I remember, you know, there would be like, okay, maybe there's like a girl that, you know, I'd be trying to date or something. And I remember specifically, there was a young lady, and I was thinking of dating her, and my friend's like, hey, man, you shouldn't touch that one. You should stay away from that. Like, well, she goes to Avon Hope, you know, she's a nice girl. She's Avonist. That don't mean anything. <laughs> and, of course, I didn't, I didn't fully follow God's will. I, you know, instead of me following what the Bible, Spirit of Prophecy says, and Advent home, and Adventist home, and, and looking carefully at characteristics and things, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, just a uh, nice person, and this and that. And I remember getting into this relationship and having so much heartache. It was like fight after fight after fight, trauma after trauma after trauma. And I remember to the point, like, wow, I just want to be single for the rest of my life. <laughs> Man, a bad relationship will cure you quick. <laughs> and I remember just, just going through this, this uh, situation and, again, falling into God's permissive will. It's not like this person was some drug dealer, prostitute, clearly out in the world. No, this was an Adventist. This was someone who was, you know, a good Christian, but we weren't meant to be. There were incompatibility issues. There were serious warnings from counselors and, and friends and those who know, know us. But because I was stubborn and hard-headed, I wanted to follow my way, but still kind of following God's will, it got me into trouble. A lot more heartache for her. I'm, by the way, it's not her fault. I'm sure I was her problem too. So I don't want to just make it sound like she's the bad person. I'm sure I was a, the problem too. That's not God's intention for our lives. But that ends up being the result when we follow God's permissive will. Him working with us through our selfishness. Finally, it's nice to experience what it's like being in God's perfect will. I had to hit my head a few times. I had to go through the hard knocks. But it's nice knowing that by God's grace, I married someone who is following God's perfect will. It's nice knowing that I am doing what God wants me to do. I'm in the career path that God wants me to. So that when my wife and I go through a trial, in 2015 we went through a, a, a you know, health trial, 
and many people were saying things and we were going through a lot, it was nice to know that, no, we are following God's will and we have the peace that passes all understanding. We have the assurance knowing that we're following God's will. And if God is the one who brought us to it in His perfect will, you better believe He's going to see you through it. I want to conclude with this statement. Good is the enemy of best. Think about that. Let's say it together. Good is the enemy of best. I believe that because many of you are well-meaning, I believe that everyone in this room is well-meaning. Otherwise, you'd be sleeping in bed right now. You wouldn't be going to Advent Hope. I believe that all of us in this room want to follow God's perfect will. And because the devil knows that, the devil is not going to put God's painful will or prohibitive will into your life. Walking outside today, I doubt a drug dealer is going to come up to you and say, hey, you want to take a hit? Like, I doubt that's going to happen. (laughs) The devil knows that he can't get you on some of those other things. So what does the devil try to do? He'll try to put good things in your way. I call it the devil settling. You know, if you've ever canvassed before, we have our MAGA books. And if someone doesn't buy the MAGA books, we have what's called a drop-down. Does anyone know what the drop-down is? The small little books. I believe that God's permissive will is the devil's drop-down sometimes. Or good is the enemy of best. And so God wants to give you a life abundant. He wants to give you life at its best. He wants you to experience... um, a great life in this world, and also heaven in the world to come. And the devil knows that he can't get you on some of the bigger things, and so what the devil will try to do, at least what he's done in my life, is he's put a lot of good things in my path to prevent me from making the best decision. And so my challenge for you in this room is a little different challenge. I already know that you're well-meaning. I assume that you're a follower of God's commands. I assume that you're a disciple. And so know that the devil is a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5, 8, seeking whom he may devour. And if the devil can't get you on these big things, what he's going to do is put a bunch of little things in your way or a lot of good things in your way to cheat you out on what is best. How many of you today you want to say, Father in heaven, I ask that you help me. Help me to stay clear from the obvious, but also help me to stay clear from the subtle, from the permissive things that would cheat me out from the perfect things. How many of you want that to be your prayer? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the decisions this morning. I remember having to navigate life in my early 20s and having to deal with very important decisions. The career path, life calling, life partner, all of those things. Lord, I I fear for the decisions I would have made if someone did not share this Bible study with me. 
if someone didn't show me that there is clearly God's perfect will and that we need to stay clear from the permissive will. Your permissive will is an act of grace of dealing with our selfishness. But Lord, I pray that we can overcome our selfishness, overcome our own ideas and thoughts, and that Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9 would be reality for us. That we would truly trust that your ways and your thoughts are higher than our ways and our thoughts. Thank you so much for each one of my friends today. Every single person who raised their hand, I pray that you would give them holy boldness to stand for what's right. I pray that you would also give them clarity of mind to choose your perfect will. And I pray, Father, in moments of weakness, that you would be gracious when we choose your permissive will. Thank you for hearing this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.